Welcome to Cape and Ray Hall, nestled in the beautiful landscapes between England's national parks. As a Bible school, we offer short-term courses aimed at fostering your spiritual growth and living in a community. Our historic manor house has something for everyone. You can enjoy indoor and outdoor adventures, connect with students from around the world, and learn how to deepen your relationship with Jesus Christ. Search Cape and Ray England for more information. Lucas on Life. Hello and welcome to Lucas on Life. And tonight, there's only really one thing to talk about. Jesus is alive. And this Easter day, as followers of Jesus, we celebrate that reality. Tonight, in this special program for Easter, I'd like us to sit back, perhaps at the end of a busy Sunday, and allow the wonderful truth of the resurrection to sink into our souls as we share some Easter readings and reflections. Some words from John chapter 20. Mary stood outside the tomb crying. As she cried, she bent over to look into the tomb. She saw two angels dressed in white. They were seated where Jesus' body had been. One of them was where Jesus' head had been laid. The other sat where his feet had been placed. They asked her, Woman, why are you crying? They have taken my Lord away, she said. I don't know where they have put him. Then she turned around and saw Jesus standing there, but she didn't realize that it was Jesus. Woman, he said, why are you crying? Who are you looking for? She thought he was the gardener. So she said, sir, did you carry him away? Tell me where you put him, that I will go and get him. Jesus said to her, Mary. She turned toward him. Then she cried out in the Aramaic language, Rabboni. Rabboni means teacher. Jesus said, do not hold on to me. I have not yet returned to the Father. Instead, go to those who believe in me. Tell them, I am returning to my Father and your Father, to my God and your God. Mary Magdalene went to the disciples with the news. She said, I have seen the Lord. And she told them that he had said these things to her. Jesus' appearance to Mary Magdalene is so wonderful, especially because back in that day, it was a culture where women were denigrated. In his gospel, John paints a really tender portrait of their meeting together. Mary's eyes were surely swollen with tears of despair, but then Jesus appears not in a blinding flash of light or with a drum roll of fanfare, but as someone that you could mistake for the gardener. There were so many things that he could have said at that moment. I told you so, or death is finished, mission accomplished, I've got the keys to death and hell. But instead, Jesus' priority was to reassure one of his distressed followers. It's only when he tenderly spoke her name that she suddenly realized the truth. It's Jesus. He knew her name, and he knows our names too. And there's something else here that is absolutely vital. A couple of years ago, we were touring the ruins of Magdala, the city in Israel where Mary Magdalene lived. One of our group took me aside and asked the question, how do we know that Mary Magdalene was a prostitute? I decided to conduct some research, and I was really shocked by the result. The Bible never suggests that Mary engaged in prostitution. She's mentioned in all four Gospels, she was present at Jesus' crucifixion and was part of a team that traveled with Jesus, preaching the good news of the kingdom. You can read about it in Luke chapter 8. 
Jesus appeared to her after the resurrection. In other words, she played an extremely prominent part in the ministry of Jesus. Many scholars believe that the early church became increasingly uncomfortable with a woman playing such a significant leadership role, and so they began to cast her as a prostitute, smearing her reputation and therefore diminishing her contribution to the gospel story. The biblical reference to her records that she had seven demons, and I suppose that made her an easy target for the smearing. The travesty was compounded by Pope Gregory the Great in AD 591 when he preached a sermon that tagged Mary Magdalene as the unidentified sinful woman who washed Jesus' feet with her tears. Luke chapter 7. That totally false idea became church teaching. It grieves me to say that countless gifted, anointed women leaders continue to be sidelined and dismissed because of their gender. Female church leaders are routinely verbally abused for no other reason than they're seeking to pursue God's calling upon their lives. Let's pray for them and encourage them whenever we can. Luke chapter 24, verse 13 onwards says this, Now that same day, two of them were going to a village called Emmaus, about seven miles from Jerusalem. They were talking with each other about everything that had happened. As they talked and discussed these things with each other, Jesus himself came and walked along with them, but they were kept from recognizing him. He asked them, What are you discussing together as you walk along? They stood still, their faces downcast. One of them, named Cleopas, asked him, Are you the only one visiting Jerusalem who does not know the things that have happened there in these days? What things, he asked. About Jesus of Nazareth, they replied. He was a prophet, powerful in word and deed, before God and all the people. The chief priests and our rulers handed him over to be sentenced to death, and they crucified him. But we had hoped that he was the one who was going to redeem Israel. And what is more, it is the third day since all this took place. In addition, some of our women amazed us. They went to the tomb early this morning, but didn't find his body. They came and told us that they had seen a vision of angels who said he was alive. Then some of our companions went to the tomb and found it, just as the women had said, but they did not see Jesus. He said to them, How foolish you are and how slow to believe all that the prophets have spoken. Did not the Messiah have to suffer these things and then enter his glory? And beginning with Moses and all the prophets, he explained to them what was said in all the scriptures concerning himself. What do you do when you've conquered the power of death and hell? Angels surely wondered what Jesus would do next. Later, a whole six weeks would be spent on earth taking the apostles through the most incredible leadership program that there's ever been. But what now? Well, you go for a stroll if you're Jesus. Mark introduces us to this delightful story and Luke gives us a much fuller version. We're not told too much about these two who walked on that road. Luke only names one, Cleopas, who may have been the brother of Joseph, Jesus' earthly father. But the real point of this story is that these two were living outside the knowledge that Christ was risen. Their journey home was torturous. They were so paralyzed by despair, they could hardly take another step. But that walk with Jesus changed everything. One of the most wonderful aspects of the resurrection of Jesus that I so enjoy is that so much of what goes on is just so ordinary. 
As we saw earlier, after the resurrection, Jesus was mistaken for a gardener. And then in John chapter 21, he cooks breakfast for some friends returning from a frustrating night shift at fishing. And here we see him taking a stroll with some friends and ending the day by sharing supper in their home. It's all rather pedestrian and rather beautiful because of it. Isn't that truly the nature of faith, the truth that the extraordinary God walks with us through the mundane, boring, and painful bits of life, of which there are many? Jesus has washed my sins away, but I still have to clean the car, reconcile my bank statement, and do a host of other rather numbing things that, to quote Julie Andrews, are definitely not listed as a few of my favorite things. But today, in the ordinary, he is with us. And then as we look at what Luke reveals about this conversation between the Emmaus pair and Jesus, we see that some of the most authentic prayers can begin with the phrase, we had hoped. God invites us to bring our disappointments, our unfulfilled dreams to him. And as we do, it may be that we have to let go of those hopes because God never promises to answer every prayer with a yes. These two were hoping for a military messiah who would overthrow the hated Roman invaders, kick the puppet king Herod off the throne and save Israel. But Jesus was doing something far bigger and better. His work was about the redemption of the planet. He doesn't resolve their disappointments by fulfilling their dreams, but rather shows them that their dreams were too limited. Let's be authentic in our prayers and share with God how we feel, especially when we sense a no from him. He knows what's on our hearts anyway, but invites us to be intentionally honest. Prayer. It's about being honest, not making religious speeches. We're thinking about that stroll on the road to Emmaus that's described in Luke chapter 24. And these two shared their disappointment with Jesus. But then we read in verse 28, as they approached the village to which they were going, Jesus continued on as if he were going farther. But they urged him strongly, stay with us for it is nearly evening. The day is almost over. So he went in to stay with them. When he was at the table with them, he took bread, gave thanks, broke it, and began to give it to them. Then their eyes were opened, and they recognized him, and he disappeared from their sight. They asked each other, were not our hearts burning within us while he talked with us on the road and opened the scriptures to us? They got up and returned at once to Jerusalem. There they found the eleven and those with them assembled together and saying, it is true, the Lord has risen and has appeared to Simon. Then the two told what happened on the way and how Jesus was recognized by them when he broke the bread. It was in one of those churches where fun was treated as something rather suspect. A gentleman came up to me, his face fixed in what seemed to be a permanently stern expression. He hadn't appreciated my love of humor while preaching. We don't have fun in this church, he said. We have joy. I looked closer into his eyes, and joy seemed to be buried very deep, 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 deep down in his heart. I've always pictured Jesus as being warm, utterly engaging, capable of laughing out loud. He wouldn't have been such a popular party guest if this were not so, even with his unusual ability for providing gallons of vintage quality wine. Children aren't drawn to wooden, wide-eyed fanatics. In this rather lovely episode, Jesus exhibited a wonderful playfulness 
as he stages what looks like a little humorous move on the Emmaus Road. I'm aware that some listeners might struggle with the notion of a playful Jesus. And if that's true, we need to stop right now and ask ourselves this question. Why would the idea of a warm, winsome and fun Jesus be so offensive? When Luke tells us that Jesus acted as if he were going farther, he used a word that means pretend. Jesus gave the impression of something that was not to see how his two friends would act under these circumstances. There's nothing unkind about this. It's a smile with a purpose, but it's surely a smile nonetheless. And all of that makes me wonder how much about Jesus we've got wrong. Have we painted him in drab, somber colors when in fact he's such a sparkling-eyed, utterly engaging, fully alive person? Let's ask God this Easter to show us the real Jesus. So at last they'd recognized him. It was Jesus. Imagine sharing a meal with someone who you thought you were mourning because of their recent death. Of course, there was an incredible ending to that day. All the disappointment had been swept away and now the two were feeling a wonderful heartburn, authentic joy, because now they knew not only that Jesus was alive, but because of his sharing such an epic roadway Bible study with them, they understood so much more of the big picture of the story of God. But what next for them? Well, despite it being so late in the day when tiredness would have made their bones ache and the very real threat of bandits on that dark road back to Jerusalem, they set off for yet another seven-mile trek back to the city to immediately share the wonderful news. Sometimes we only get as far as the heartwarming experiences. We can be stirred in a worship service, moved to tears by clear biblical preaching, comforted by the sacraments, but then we leave the warm atmosphere of worship and don't put into action what we've learned. We've been shaken, stirred, but in reality, unchanged. But not those two. They seized the day and they headed out. The heartburn probably wore off on the road, and sometimes it does for us. Sometimes we do our Christianity without any feelings at all. But we know that to follow Christ is simply the right way. Perhaps this Easter day, some of us are in that place right now, feeling emotionally empty about our faith. Excitement has packed up and left. But let's keep going anyway. Our feelings are not the barometer of our spirituality. Our feelings come and go, but what is true will always be true. His love endures forever. Jesus is alive. Have a blessed Easter, and I'll see you next time. Lucas on Life. Welcome to Cape and Ray Hall, nestled in the beautiful landscapes between England's national parks. As a Bible school, we offer short-term courses aimed at fostering your spiritual growth and living in a community. Our historic manor house has something for everyone. You can enjoy indoor and outdoor adventures, connect with students from around the world, and learn how to deepen your relationship with Jesus Christ. Search Cape and Ray England for more information.